You are listening to the Moody Girl Podcast with me, Emily Fazer. Throughout this series, we're going to be opening the minds of experts and delving into the world of alternative healing methods. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. Hey guys, thank you so much to all of you that are listening to the Moody Girl podcast. It means so much to me and I'm absolutely loving spending this time to work on these for you. If you're finding these episodes helpful, please do subscribe, give them a five-star review and share on socials. It really helps to reach a wider audience, which will ultimately help me to keep bringing you great conversations and doing what I love the most. I've personally had so many different health struggles in my life. Doctor-prescribed medicines have often left me feeling worse and as though they are masking the problem rather than actually addressing the root cause. And this has led me to think outside of the box and find holistic ways to feel better in myself. I'm not professing to be some kind of health guru and I'm definitely not a doctor. Just someone who's trying to explore new ways to feel better and make the most out of life. This week, I'm speaking with Carly Crotwell, a quantum health visionary who guides women to reconnect to their power by healing their gut. The enteric nervous system that regulates our gut is often called the body's second brain. I wanted to speak with Carly about her thoughts on the importance of gut health and how it impacts our health and happiness. Let's get to the episode. So welcome to the Moody Girl podcast today, Carly. How are you? I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Ah, no problem. Um, so seriously, I've been gut health has been something that was pretty much the the start of my own health journey. And you see a lot about a lot about gut health in like like women's magazines or just like Instagram everywhere. Um, and it seems to be a topic on a lot of people's minds. Um so yeah, I thought it was really important to get you on today to discuss gut health in, you know, way more depth because it's something that I think I've literally scratched the surface on. Um so let's start um with you telling us a little bit more about why you think gut health is so important, how you got into gut health, um and your own story. Like where's your health at? Where did it start from? Yeah, so Really, the whole uptick trend in gut health has just been accumulating through these past five years as more and more research has been coming out. Um, But with the kind of ancient medicines like Ayurveda, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, um, 
which is this ancient Indian healing system from like 6,000 years ago, they already knew back then the significance of the gut. Mm -hmm. So it's more like things like fasting and these things that are trending now are these ancient practices that are just being backed by scientific research and coming back to light. So the reason why your gut health is so important and, and should be a top priority is that it affects so many other areas of the body. It's kind of like this portal is what I like to call it, you know, the towards your mental health, your skin health, all these different areas of your life. And it's known as your second brain for a reason. There are more nerve endings in the gut than in your whole central nervous system and your spinal cord. So there's a lot still that we don't know about the gut, but what we do know makes it very imperative how important it is to take care of this. So this um, area of interest kind of chose me in my life. So when I was about three months old, I was having kind of like a series of ear infections and the doctors prescribed me antibiotics. And if you know, you're not aware antibiotics can't really differentiate between the bad bacteria and the good bacteria. So it just kind of kills it all. So I was already kind of at a disadvantage being born by C-section because your gut microbiome tends to copy the microbiome of your mom's skin if you're born by cesarean section rather than if you're born vaginally then wow. you're adopting your mother's kind of uh, blueprint for her gut microbiome. So it's a little bit at a disadvantage there. And then whatever bacteria I did have was wiped out with the antibiotics. So um, I ended up having a really hard time holding down feedings and things like this. And then it just kind of progressed from there. I was kind of always sick as a child. My immune system was affected. And then it wasn't until I was really in my late teens and early 20s that I realized, you know, all of this bloating, this distension, all this constipation, you know, I sometimes wouldn't go to the bathroom for like a week, wow. um, a week at a time. So I was just tired of always having this belly. And it really got to a point where I would like dread mealtimes because I knew that there was this discomfort waiting for me on the other side and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I told my parents, um, I would sometimes have these bouts where we would like need to go to the emergency room because I was in so much pain. So it really just started to get to a point where as a kid, we were going to all these specialists and nobody was coming up with answers. You know, they were just like, oh, you know, maybe she'll outgrow it. Maybe this, maybe that. And then I just started feeling like accumulating all this shame and guilt as a child for putting my parents through this and not getting any answers. And every time I went to the hospital, it was costing a lot of money. These specialists cost a lot of money. So I would just stop kind of telling them whenever I would have a flare up. And then it wasn't until 2020, actually, I um, decided to enroll in a teacher training and I was introduced to Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is known as the sister science of yoga. And it's focused on the mind-body connection and kind of bringing the totality of what makes us human and bringing those things back into balance. And I loved that concept because I always felt like something was wrong with me. Like I was broken and needed to be fixed and nobody could fix me. And this was like, oh no, I'm not broken. I'm just out of balance. I just have to figure out how to bring myself back into balance. And just the way that the old Ayurvedic doctors and masters approach gut health is just 
incredible. They talk about your digestion is like this inner fire and you don't want it burning too low because then you're not able to digest and assimilate your nutrients. And if it's burning too high, then you experience things like um, acid reflux and ulcers and like burning sensations. And they call that your agni, Mm -hmm. that inner fire. So by that time, after teacher training, I'm discovered this other layer of my gut health, which was like the emotional and energetic layer to it as well. Because at the time I was in a job that was very soul sucking is the best way to put it. You know, every time I showed up, there were like these pastel pink walls. And every time I showed up to my office in the morning, they were just like closing in slowly, slowly. So I realized like I was learning all this stuff about Ayurveda and implementing these um, different kind of holistic modalities. And I was still kind of experiencing symptoms when I went to work. And I realized like, oh, my gut also houses like my sense of personal power and my purpose, you know, and I don't feel like I have any right now. So which led me to eventually quit that job, you know, go cold turkey, but um, I don't recommend that. <laughs> you know? I'm just that type of person. So yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's how I ended up doing what I do today as an integrative health practitioner. I kind of take Ayurveda got me started, but with integrative health, there's so many different modalities and there's a place for every single one of them, even conventional medicine. You know, this isn't kind of a knock at conventional medicine at all. There's a time and place for it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like if you have a giant gash on your face, you're not going to go to a chiropractor or try to fix it. So yeah. that's how I ended up here. Wow. I mean, what a journey. Jeez. You've literally been like on this journey since birth. And like so many different things as you were speaking sparked my interest. Um, the first one being I had no idea about, you know, about the C-section. So with I was born, my mom had four C-sections. I was born through a C-section. Um, my mom has her own kind of health issues. She's got um celiac disease um she's had a lot of kind of issues with her gut as well um and we're very similar in that way i don't have celiac at the moment but i know that it can develop as you get older and has has developed um but yeah can you talk us through that a little bit more so you know i know you touched on it slightly so if if someone's born via a c-section rather than vaginally um what are the kind of main points where um it's more detrimental to your health i guess on your microbiome. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's not necessarily detrimental. It just takes a little bit more of building up the diversity because your skin doesn't have as much diversity of bacteria as in your gut. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to be mindful of. Um, and with babies, you know, the best thing is I may spark controversy here, but um, breastfeeding is a good way to introduce more bacteria into their gut as well, as opposed mm-hmm. to um, formula. Yeah. So because there's not really you can't really put an infant on probiotics. So um, yeah. or a very, very weak amount. So it's just about diversifying the gut bacteria for sure. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, if say you're in a situation, you're a new mom, you've had a C-section, there was no other option. Um, The best thing 
you know, is to breastfeed if you can. Um, and if you can't, what would you say are like the best things to, would you be like herbal medicine to kind of imp- improving that microbiome? Because I mean, I'm at an age where I'm probably going to start thinking about children in the next few years. Um, and there's always that worry that you can't have a child naturally. Yeah. So I, in my practice, I don't really work with a lot of new moms. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with some mostly middle-aged women. Yeah. So um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. The mm-hmm. only thing I will say when dealing with an infant or a newborn, whatever you do is going to be either like extremely diluted or just a fraction of like the actual dose that you're going to do. And especially with a newborn, you may have to wait, especially with certain herbs until like they're two years old. Um, So it's, it's a long game when it comes to, it's not, don't feel defeated if you have to have a C-section, because I know most of the time they're emergencies, you know, you have to get the baby out somehow. So don't, I wouldn't take it to heart. Like, oh my gosh, I've just, my baby's digestion is going to be no (laughs) for me. Like the biggest thing for me was being on antibiotics so young, which is what kind of set me back. It wasn't necessarily the Mm C-section. So yeah. So yeah. Work with an herbalist, you know, who, who specializes with infants and can give you more information, but yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that. No, honestly, I was just, all of a sudden I was just thinking like, if it was me listening as a new mom, I'd be like, oh my God, no, I had a baby through a C-section. So I just wanted to like clear that up for anyone listening. Like, yes. you know, there's, there's so much to do. And Carly, as you say, you had loads of antibiotics, which completely, mm-hmm. you know, ruined your microbiome. Yeah. Um, so yes, if you could describe, you know, optimum gut health, say like, you know, you're working with someone and they've got to optimum gut health. What does that look like? Okay. So optimum gut health is going to look different for everybody because we're all, our gut health is like our fingerprint. You know, it's so unique to us, but some guidelines or check marks you really want to be hitting is you're having a bowel movement at least one to two times, ideally two. Most people, it's only one. Mm-hmm. But you're getting the toxins moving out of your digestive tract every single day. You're super hydrated. You don't have a lot of sensitivities to foods. Um, you don't experience any bloating or any um, discomfort after meals, anything like this. And you have a really strong sense of personal power in your life. Mm-hmm. You have this strong sense of purpose about what you're doing. It lights you up. You know, it's not detrimental with things like stress and toxins. Um, you can't really avoid them. You know, it's almost, um, I'm trying to find the word, not detrimental, but it's almost like backwards thinking to imagine that you're going to have this stress-free life. And after you replace all these products, you're not going to be exposed to toxins ever again in your life. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, it's not necessarily trying to eliminate them, mitigating them as much as possible. And you do that by doing more things that bring you joy and Mm -hmm. light you up and aren't causing you stress on a daily basis. I mean, if you have a family, there's going to be stress that comes up out of nowhere, you know, it's just a part of the fun. So it's really just, it comes down to enjoying your life. And what I really like to drive home, like 
there's so much out there about health, like so much. And you almost get this paralysis by analysis. If you were to just Google, where do I get started with my gut health? It's almost overwhelming. And it's just, there's biohacking and all these different avenues to go down. Um, And I always like to tell my clients, you know, they're talking about biohacking and that's great, but are you taking a multivitamin every single day? (laughs) Like we need to start with the basics. It's really about finding your foundations, and then you can slowly build from there. But my goal with my clients is to not have any repeat business. You know, I don't want to see the same client over and over and over again. I want to give you the information and lay the foundation. And then you go on your own to explore and build upon because eventually you just want this running in the background. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't expect everybody to be like obsessed with their health. (laughs) You know, it's just not realistic with our jobs and all these responsibilities that we have and carry. But once you can commit to setting a habit in your health or a routine for 30, 30 days, two months, three months, whatever it may be to kind of bring everything back into balance, it just starts to run on the background Mm -hmm. and you don't have to focus about it. You know, like education is a huge part of it. You know what foods are best for you and, and not best for you. And I think, um, in the US, we have to be a lot more diligent. I know in the UK, they have a lot of a lot more bans on chemicals and things like this. Um, Maybe not perfect, but a lot better than we're doing in the US as far as that stuff. So Mm -hmm. just the nutrition part alone can be very overwhelming. And I totally understand that. But it's just you have to know what resources to look for, and what your body responds to really, as well, just awareness about um what is causing your bloating or discomfort or whatever symptoms you have mm-hmm. really important. It's a big piece of it as well. Absolutely. I mean, when I, and similar to you actually in 2020, it was when I started kind of reviewing where my health was at um, and really kind of looking at what I was putting into my body. Um, and it was, you know, I was on furlough um it was beautiful weather which we were quite lucky in England in April it was like the hottest April we'd ever had um so it was great so I was like okay fine I found this girl on Instagram and I'd started the, uh, this, this gut cleanse like started with like a three-day juice cleanse and then went into like gradually kind of easing foods back in so it was like you know um just raw salads for a bit um and I think I did that for seven days and then it was like um blended soups and then all these kind of you know whole foods um and by the end of it I did it because I've got psoriasis so um that basically started from uh, me trying to plan a wedding in uh, Iceland because me and my husband were like let's go get married somewhere random Iceland and then like trying to plan that in the pandemic with like so many people who said yes to coming it was just like it just basically started psoriasis for me because I was so stressed Mm -hmm. from that decision luckily we we were able to cancel (laughs) and we just did it in the UK um but anyways that started my kind of initial psoriasis breakout and then it just got worse and worse and worse and worse um and so I was like okay fine I'm going to use this time to really kind of figure out what's triggering it what's working for me. Um, I had no FOMO because everyone was kind of locked down. You were just, I was just focusing on myself. I was focusing on my nutrition. I was exercising every day. Um, but the only thing is I, I looked and felt great. Like my skin was glowing. I was tanned from being out in the garden. You know, I was, you know, looking really in shape. 
but it didn't get rid of the psoriasis. Um, and so it was only when I kind of seeked help with a medical herbalist that it got rid of got rid of it basically. Um, and I'm still kind of flaring up at the moment. Um, and I'm still and I'm still taking the herbs. So it's like I totally understand what you mean when you say like it's so individual in terms of, you know, there's so many different things at play. So it's like when they're all working in harmony, whether that be what you're eating with then, you know, what you're doing in your social time. Um, and then also the toxins as well that you're using, say, product-wise, when they're kind of all in harmony, that's when it seems to, it would just cleared up, luckily in time for my wedding. So it was great. Um, but now I'm at a point where I'm like, I'm working, you know, five days a week throughout the throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, quite a fast-paced job. And when you're sat in an office or, you know, you haven't got much time, you're grabbing a snack out of your bag. Yes, it's gluten-free, but it's probably, if I look at the ingredients, it's probably not the best for my gut. So it's, that's the, that's the part that I find it really hard to manage because all, when I came out of lockdown, the transition from the life that I was leading, which was very controlled and I had loads of time to do that. So I was waking up early in the morning and doing a whole thing of juice. I was like, making fresh kombucha I was exercising I was I had the luxury to do that and like unless you are like have endless buckets of cash where you can just spend your time looking after your health as you say it's not realistic it's not people aren't able to do that people live fast-paced lives so I mean from your perspective you know what how how is the best way to integrate this into a really busy schedule you know like what would you say the top five tips um that you kind of stick to in order to keep everything in balance yeah for sure so really the best thing is just going to be to have a day during the week to kind of plan and prep. So I know this can be kind of overwhelming, but I always like to remind people like your health gets to be fun. Like you get to enjoy bettering your health, bettering yourself. So for me, what I'll do on Sundays is like get my boyfriend, the whole family together, and we will start prepping, cutting vegetables and planning, like prepping at least lunches for the week. And we always do about four and then Friday, like give yourself, go out to a nice lunch on Friday or, you know, reward yourself. You have to enjoy the process after you eat for three days, really consecutively, really well, give yourself a meal, a cheat meal, Mm -hmm. um, not a cheat day. I want to emphasize that (laughs) cheat meal to reward yourself and eat whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's finding that consistency. So I would definitely say planning is a big part of it. You know, looking up recipes and what have you, um, trying to avoid gluten, dairy, eggs to the best of your ability while you're trying to figure out what's going on with your gut. Mm. So, um, gluten, dairy, and eggs are just the top three, like most common sensitivities when it comes to food. So if you experience, severe bloating, like on a consistent basis, you definitely want to start eliminating things for at least 21 days and start to bring them back in. So just when it comes to your recipe planning, maybe just do like whole foods. You can maybe even do 
rice and grains and see what's going on. Because even as you eliminate the other stuff, if you're still having issues, then you know that it's something you're eating there. Mm-hmm. So definitely planning is going to is gonna help. And I know like on the weekends, we just want to relax and check out. But in reality, it'll take maybe like an hour and two or two of your Sunday to yeah. prep. It's like a small amount of time and it's going to give you maximum benefit throughout the week. So that would be tip number one is to plan. And one thing I want to add to that as well is... When I started learning about all the things that could possibly be affecting my gut, whenever I went out to eat, it would be really, really stressful and overwhelming. You know, I didn't want to be that person to be like, oh, can you cook this without that? And, you know, maybe you'll have, don't include that in there. Um, I didn't want to be like high maintenance when it came to the restaurant. So when it comes to eating out, just focus on the best relative choice. Like of all the options on the menu, which one is the best relative choice out of all of them? It doesn't have to be perfect, but like, you know, maybe I'll get the fish that doesn't have the bread. Like if I were to get a burger, like maybe not have the bread on there and I'll get the fish and, you know, you don't have to go and get veggies on the side. You know, you can have French fries, but just the best relative choice was really helpful for me because I was very overwhelmed by like, oh my God, I can't eat anything here, you know, and you don't want to, my family always, my family still doesn't know. Like I was vegan when I was a teenager and they still think that I have like this aversion to different ingredients and stuff. They always ask me if I'm okay, like going out to eat and I'm just, it's up to you guys. I don't care. You know, (laughs) I'm on my own thing. Don't worry about me. I'll figure it out. (laughs) No, I totally, I remember, um, like trying to go to restaurants, as you say, and it was just like, I don't know, it just felt like I had a target on my back because I was so embarrassed with being so particular. And at that point I was like cutting out gluten, cutting out nightshades, cutting out meat, cutting out dairy, cutting out eggs. And I was just like, oh my God. And when you say that to people, especially with friends when they're cooking for you, they're like, what are you doing at the moment? I was like, no, no nightshades, no eggs, no gluten, no anything. And they're just like, what the hell can I cook you? (laughs) So I totally sympathize. So listeners, um, if you're going through this journey, um, you know, as Carly says, if you want to go out for dinner, just pick the best, the best choice um, that you're going to feel comfortable with. Because um, I think it's also you start to get yourself in a bit of a headspace where you're like super paranoid about, you know, if you have been really clean or you have limited these foods out of your life for a certain amount of time, and then you kind of go off piste, as as you say, Um then you have that. I know for myself, I had the guilt. I was like, oh no, I've done it for three months and now ruined it from, from eating like this. Or And you can get in a really, it's quite like a, an addictive space where you really become like obsessive over exactly what's going in your body because you're, you want to have the best gut health. But I was kind of having this discussion on another episode where actually saying no to everything all the time and putting yourself out there in a situation, as you say, in a restaurant, which is going to like make everyone look at you, um, is causing more stress, which will then cause havoc on the gut as well. So it's like everything's relative, as you say. Um, and it's just kind of picking your battles, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that's where the mental aspect comes in as well. Like if you, are eating a really healthy food, but your mindset is 
guilty or you're shaming yourself, then that healthy food is going to be digested as poison. Mm. You know, it's not going to be nourishing your body as much as if you were in this super joyful space around friends, you know, having a good time and enjoying yourself, like genuinely enjoying yourself Mm. instead of just, you know, being like you said, you know, I was doing so well and now everything is ruined, all my progress. Like it's not the case. You've primed your digestion for all that time and you're slowly introducing and trying new things. You know, if you were to have a cheat meal, like you're introducing it and just observe, become aware and notice and see how you react to it. Yeah. So that leads me to my next question. Um, How scientifically are stress and the gut linked? Like what, how, how, how does stress affect the gut so much, you know? Yes. So this brings us to the very um, common topic of gut permeability or also known as leaky gut. So what happens here is your, let's say you're sitting in traffic, you know, and you have one person who's jamming out in the car, having a great time, you know, not, doesn't have a place to be. And then the person next to them is quite the opposite, having a miserable time, you know, is already late to a meeting, stressing out, freaking out. So what happens is your hypothalamus in your brain start to starts to perceive the stress in your environment. And then it signals to your pituitary gland, which is kind of like in the middle of your brain. It's that teardrop looking um, gland. And this gland will signal to your adrenals. So your adrenals are the little pyramid-shaped glands that sit on top of your kidneys. And it signals to them, you know, we're not safe. This is not okay. Um, We need to fight or flight. That's when you have your fight, flight, or freeze response. So they signal to the adrenals, and the adrenals start to release norepinephrine, cortisol. And so this isn't necessarily a bad thing. This is your body is so beautifully designed in all these different intricate ways. So when you're in this survival mode, fight, flight, or freeze, it's good if you're in a dangerous situation and for a short amount of time. So there is this um, study or book, it's called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers or Why Zebras Don't Have Heart Attacks or something like that. Because when you're running from a lion, you're cortisol, your stress levels are through the roof, right? But afterwards, once the chase is over, the zebras literally shake off their bodies, like they shake off their nervous system. So as humans, we don't really have that um, instinct to do after a high stress situation is just like, shake it off and take a deep breath, you know, we kind of have to train ourselves back into doing that. So when we get in these really long sustained states of stress, then that is going to start to affect the efficacy of your digestion. When you're in your fight or flight, your blood is focusing on keeping you alive. So it's really taking all the blood to your heart, to your brain, um, your lungs, you know, keeping you alive and focused. So all the blood gets taken away, all the energy goes away from your digestion. Mm. So that's why it's really important before mealtimes, especially if you're at work, you know, in your fast paced job, you really want to take a moment to like, check in, um, eat alone if you can, or like with coworkers that you actually enjoy being around. Um, and just take a few moments to like breathe and kind of shift like big belly breaths. Cause that'll, um, signal 
to your vagus nerve to signal like to the rest of your nervous system, like, okay, I'm safe. I can relax here. Like this is okay. So I always like to encourage people to really take a moment before your meal times and check in, take a few deep breaths, get back into that parasympathetic part of your nervous system. It's called your rest and digest. So all the blood can go back to your digestive system and focus on eating because a third of your daily energy is going towards digestion. So it's really important, the efficacy. That's why sometimes after meals, when we have a really big meal or um, something that's, you know, full of a lot of processed stuff and bread and like really high carb, we get really tired after we eat all that because your digestion is like, okay, hold on. I don't know how to break this stuff down right off the bat. It takes a little bit extra work. So when we have those sustained periods, those sustained states of stress, the junctions in our gut lining begin to find this like separation in between them. And so what happens as things are moving down the digestive tract, like our body will naturally produce toxins to get rid of through our urine or our bowels. Um, These toxins, these food particles, these bacteria, viruses, good and bad, will start to escape from the gut lining where they're being led out of the body and start to go through these spacings into the blood system, into the blood. And this is where you will experience these autoimmune reactions. Mm. So when you were planning your wedding in Iceland, you were under high sustained periods of stress. And then for, you know, whatever reason, things started to escape through the gaps in your gut lining causes autoimmune reaction, which in you turned up as psoriasis Mm -hmm. and other people can turn up as eczema or whatever. You know, we all have these different reactions. We're all have these bio individual kind of ways of reacting to the world around us mm-hmm. in the physical and emotional. So um, so that is essentially leaky gut. And, you know, it doesn't always show through as a um, autoimmune disorder necessarily. Um, you can, this is kind of how food sensitivities accumulate as well. Um, there are some things you just may not sit well with you, but most of the times, on a food sensitivity, if you just eliminate them and work on healing the gut wall and kind of closing those junctions back together and then start to reintroduce them, you won't have any reaction or as much of a reaction as you did the first time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how food sensitivities are tested as well as looking for those antibodies in the blood that are leaking through the gut wall. Wow. So do we think I have leaky gut then? (laughs) (laughs) It's a possibility. I don't know. You've done a lot of work on it as well. So it depends. But there's a lot of things that can cause leaky gut besides stress, Um, alcohol, Mm -hmm. sugar, antibiotics, birth control is another one. Um, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, things like Advil, Tylenol. Um, Yeah, I think that's the top top causes right there. I know all the good things, alcohol, sugar. (laughs) I know it's a bummer it's a big bummer I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Cytoplan a unique science-based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science and whose emphasis is on quality of product my medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents before I found out about Cytoplan 
I was taking up to eight supplements a day, all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits. So if you'd like to find out more, please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. Oh yeah, it's interesting because I was I'm going I I've gone through a stage of kind of trying to wean myself off Nurofen, which is essentially like I think Advil in the states is Advil and ibuprofen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's similar. Yeah, it's the equivalent. Um, and so because I get really bad like period cramps, um, and so I was very much taking Nurofen because that was the only thing. And when you're at work and you're in a meeting, and you can't be kind of like uh, with a hot water bottle, you know, but if you're like Mm -hmm. at home, you can quietly just, you know, crumble into a ball until (laughs) they pass, you know? Suffer in silence. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that could be, that could also be, because I think that was one of the number one things. I'm trying not to drink so much anymore. Um, I'm trying to do way more things to improve my stress levels. Um, So yeah, it's definitely something we're going to look into. So when you say earlier about like, rebuilding the gut lining walls again mm-hmm. how do we do that so there is a certain protocol that i take my clients through and it's mostly surrounded by um mostly for things like bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth so i want to touch upon that for a second too so Whenever we have these gut issues and whatever symptoms they manifest as, it usually boils down to four main root causes. Because like I was saying earlier, like I think that's the perspective shift that conventional medicine is kind of missing where we're going from, I'm broken, I need you to fix me. Here's a medication to fix you. Um, but there's nothing wrong with medicine, you know, it's just as far as like taking medicine over a sustained period of time for the rest of forever, that's where we start to kind of run into issues of missing the point. So instead of going, I'm broken, I need you to fix me. I think we need to start to shift into getting really curious. Like, how did I get to this point? What were the things that caused, what was the cause that led me to this effect? So when it comes to discovering the root cause because you want to pull the disease up or whatever ailment up by the root so it's not gonna you know just come back after however many months or years um when it comes to gut issues the four main root causes boil down to SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth of sometimes so of, of some kind so Um, we want a variety of bacteria in the gut, but sometimes even the good bacteria get overgrown and start to overpower the rest. So they're not able to work synergistically with each other. And then we have candida, which is a type of yeast overgrowth. And then parasites is another one, which everybody always gets a little squeamish when we talk about parasites, but it does happen. It's a lot more common than we think. And then, um, H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori. And this is mainly the root cause if you suffer from anything like peptic ulcers. Um, usually H. pylori is going to be the root cause behind that. 
I think this is a good time to plug in that I'm not a licensed medical professional. I don't give medical advice, anything like this. Um, So when it comes down to these four root causes, there's really, they can all be addressed in somewhat the same protocol. You just may need to add a few more things into it, um, depending on if you have a parasite infection or H. pylori infection. Um, So what you want to do is you follow this it's a sensitive gut guide list where it's things that are going to be easily digested, but it's also surprisingly enough is you're eliminating some things that contain prebiotic bacteria or prebiotics in general. So you're not going to be eating things like garlic or onions because these can kind of feed into the bacteria or feed into the yeast. Um, obviously we're eliminating sugar And then we're just slowly over a period of three months. It's very slow. So first we're looking to bring that overgrowth down and essentially kind of like choke it out and then slowly start to reintroduce different probiotics. So different strains of bacteria into the gut while also there are these things called biofilms that these colonies of bacteria to create, create, they're very, very intelligent. They have this kind of like oily layer on top. So not a lot of things can penetrate it. So it's important to take a supplement that's going to penetrate that film and fully kind of detach them from the gut wall and then feed them out. And then from there, slowly just rebuilding the gut bacteria back up until you get to the point where you can take a probiotic at the end. So a lot of people, you know, take um, we'll drink a kombucha or take a probiotic and kind of like repopulate the gut. And then sometimes they'll have like really bad pain or distension and like severe bloating afterwards. And it's because you have some type of imbalance in the gut. And if you have like a bacterial overgrowth and you take a probiotic, you're just feeding that overgrowth even more. And it's causing those symptoms to exacerbate which I think is a big like misconception. You know, Mm -hmm. if my digestion isn't good, I just need to pop a couple probiotics and then I'll be on my way or chug a kombucha. And even, and I'm like fermented foods are amazing, but if you have yeast overgrowth and yeast is the byproduct of fermenting kombucha and you're just feeding that into the body, you know, you're going to exacerbate your symptoms. So very, very interesting stuff. I could literally be here for hours. (laughs) No, honestly, that, that makes so much sense because like, I feel like maybe that was what was happening to me when I did that three month kind of cleanse where I was like going crazy on the fermented foods. Um, and as you say, if it was something to do with like the yeast, it it was, I was just feeding it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So that was probably why um, my psoriasis didn't go at that point. So yeah, it's so complex, isn't it? And it's just so unique for each person. I think that's, mm-hmm. that's where it is, but yeah, that's, a, I think that's a really common misconception though. Like, I, I literally thought that before jumping on a call with you right now, like I was buying all these like amazing probiotic drinks. I was having like sauerkraut every day. I made my own fresh kombucha. I was like, I am winning. Like literally <laughs> I'm going to have no issues in my life. Like this is yeah. great. <laughs> no, it's so fun though. Like the whole fermentation process, it's a good yeah. time. And like I said, like they're super beneficial, but you just have to make sure that your gut is in a place where it can like respond well to the benefits of it and it's not gonna again super healthy food can be perceived as toxic depending on your physical emotional mental state and um 
it's another thing too. There's, um, when it comes to candida, there's a candida diet that you can do. And some people see results, but they never last fully because what you're doing is like choking the bacteria or the yeast out. Um, but it's not getting rid of it. You're not penetrating those biofilms, which is like the key component that's missing in a lot of, um, self treatment options is Mm. just trying to do diet alone, which today's day and age, we just need a little bit more help than that with all the things that we come in contact with. Wow. I want to work with you after this. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I if we need to talk. (laughs) Yes. I'd love Uh, to have you. Um, so I guess for anyone at home who is listening and, you know, I mean, to be honest, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Like I'm hearing everything, but I don't a hundred percent understand everything. Um, my, my brain is not naturally scientific. It never has mm-hmm. been. Um, but I do feel like I am very interested in it and I'll try and read up as much as I can on it. Um, but it seems like a really complex area to get involved in and like for anyone listening who's like yeah I think I have some gut issues I have bloating after eating or you know maybe an autoimmune condition has manifested um what would you say the the first step in kind of making that change to help start rehealing their gut again what what should they do absolutely so I'll give like some more practical steps. And then as well, like if you want to take it a little bit further as well. Um, So my main tips to start rebuilding the gut, or at least just try to find some relief from at least bloating for the time being, you know, just take it one, because there's so many different things that could be contributing to the bloating. It could be food sensitivities. It could be, um, you know, it's one of the four root causes we talked about. So the, I'm going to give four practical tips here. So number one would just be start becoming aware. So I'm sure you guys have heard of food journaling, like write down your meals, because the thing about food sensitivities is sometimes you can have a delayed reaction. Sometimes you can be super bloated and distended from something that you ate three days ago. And if you're like me, like, I don't even know what I had for dinner last night. Like Mm -hmm. I can't even remember that far back. So if you start to journal and kind of keep track of that, when these symptoms show up, these are called IgG uh, reactions. They're kind of delayed by 48, maybe 72 hours. So just start by becoming aware, be aware of what you're putting into your body and how your body is responding as a result. The second one is hydration. And this is a a big one that gets overlooked. So you really want to first thing in the morning when you wake up is lubricate your system. So ideally you want to be having at least room temperature, preferably warm water to kind of get things moving. Um, cold water, like we were talking about with your Agni, your inner fire, if you're having ice cold water, you're putting that fire out. Mm. So you want to be trying to stoke it with things like warm water. You can have warm lemon water with a little bit of, um, sea salt, Celtic sea salt, pink Himalayan salt, just a, a mineral salt, um, a pinch of that with some lemon or lime juice. It's like a natural electrolyte drink. That's going to get some of your minerals in your body. That's amazing. First thing in the morning. I also like, um, ginger tea 
and you can do fresh ginger, or if you like it really spicy, powdered ginger is a lot more concentrated. And again, that's going to kind of stoke that digestive fire. Um, if you're into fasting, a ginger tea fast is super, super amazing for rebuilding as well. So definitely start becoming aware hydration meal spacing is going to be another big one, especially if weight loss is one of your health goals as well. So like we were talking about how it takes a third of your energy to digest your food on a daily basis, you really want to be ensuring the time and space for your digestion to fully um, process and assimilate and nourish all of the nutrients that you're putting in it. So your digestion starts as soon as you put something in your mouth. So if you eat a meal and then an hour later you're snacking, you're just restarting the digestive process over again. So you really want to limit the snacks that you're taking in between meals and you want to allow three and a half to four hours in between meals to just really allow that fully to digest through your system. So awareness, meal spacing, hydration, and... Another one here, there's something called the fork test, which kind of blew my mind when I first learned about it. So if you have a fork and you're working to rebuild your digestion, what you want to do is make sure that anything that you're eating can be mashed with a fork. So this is where I was like eating um, baby carrots all the time. When I first, like, I was like, I'm so healthy, you know, I'm just eating vegetables for a snack, whatever. I'm like, it's the healthiest. <laughs> and, um, but then I would have really bad bloating afterwards. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And when I learned about the fork test, obviously you can't mash a baby carrot with a fork. So I was like, oh, it makes a lot of sense, you know? So I started to cook the carrots down and cook my vegetables, roast them, um, steam them, what have you. And then that just kind of takes like a little bit of pressure and weight off of the digestion to break down these things, especially like raw cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, super, super tough to break down when you eat them raw. Wow. So you really, yeah, just want to make sure that you're kind of mashing, able to mash it with a fork. Um, when it comes to protein, really the only thing that's going to pass the fork test is going to be uh, fish. Good luck trying to put a piece of steak and mash it with a fork. It's just not going to happen. No. Um, so that's another one. And the last one I want to add here, so you'll get five. Um, the last one I want to add here is having liquid before lunch. So when you wake up in the morning, ideally or realistically, the last time that you had anything to drink was probably with dinner or before dinner. And then you sleep eight hours. So we actually wake up incredibly dehydrated, which I don't think we realize. So in addition to having that um, warm lemon water or whatever in the morning, you want to not kind of throw your digestion right into the deep end in the morning by having um, toast and eggs and bagels and these really complex things that are really tough to break down. Um, so I recommend having a smoothie in the morning or something mushy. You could do like oatmeal with some um, steamed or stewed apples in there. Um, just something, again, that's not going to take a lot of energy to break down. So I personally do smoothies. I'll add like a protein powder, 
I have an all-in-one that has like a multivitamin and multimineral in it. So highly recommend something like that. So you don't have to take a whole bunch of different products in the morning. Um, yeah. So having something really easy, mushy, possibly a smoothie first thing in the morning. And then you want to save your really complex meals for lunchtime. So in Ayurveda, when the sun is highest in the sky is when your digestion, your digestive fire is going to be at its highest. So your lunch, you can have a huge meal. Um, ideally, you're looking to have some kind of vegan protein with your lunch um, just because it's easier to break down. Animal protein takes a lot of energy to break down. So you might want to just save that until dinner. And dinner is going to be a little bit of a smaller portion. So again, I know you guys have English breakfast. I know it's a big bummer <laughs> first thing in the morning. Like, and again, treat yourself like once a week, you know, like have, have your big breakfast. I always do. Usually on Sundays, we'll do like a huge, big gluten-free pancakes or whatever, you know, you got to enjoy your life still, you know, yeah. prioritize your health, but still have fun and enjoy. Absolutely. I mean, my husband is such a breakfast person and I've always been like quite you know, simple with breakfast. So I'll just have like a juice and just hit the road. And he's like, every morning he'll be like, right, let's do some eggs and toast. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so it makes it hard. Um, okay. So we need to get to um, asking the audience. So I've got a few questions here for you. Um, okay. So we'll probably be able to get through three of these. Um how are stomach and gut issues linked? This person has both. Right. So this is going to come back to those four root causes that we talked about, the H. pylori, the SIBO, the parasites, candida, um, something, whatever symptoms you have, even if you're a medical mystery, there is always a root cause behind them. And something I didn't touch upon when we were talking about those five tips on how to start rebuilding your digestion, the more advanced part of that is to take the guesswork out of it and start testing. Mm -hmm. So with integrative health, one of those branches is functional medicine. And there's at-home lab testing that you can take that literally gets shipped to your house. You send it back and then you read the results with an integrative health practitioner, a health coach. You can even take the results back to your doctor. Um, I'm not sure if all doctors know how to read all different kinds of labs because um, these will be different depending on the test you're doing. It'll be a saliva sample, stool sample, urine, or um, a, a blood sample, just a small pinprick of your finger. So that takes the guesswork out of it. I always say test, don't guess. That's the big functional medicine saying. Um, so I can definitely include links as well for your audience if you want to yeah. put them in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love those. that. Um, so are oxalates a concern for autistic people? This is a great question. Oh my gosh, your audience is bringing it. <laughs> so when it comes to autism, I think the oxalates can be an issue. Some people are sensitive to oxalates, but I think the bigger question to ask or to look at is going to be their overall gut health. I read this super incredible book and it was um, pretty old and probably outdated as far as the research and stuff, but it was about um, 
children, people with autism, and they had this antibiotic resistant form of C. diff, which is this bacteria that lives in the colon, the large intestines and causes like a whole bunch of issues, inflammation, like IBS symptoms, essentially. Mm. And they couldn't treat it with any of the antibiotics that they had. So what they started doing were fecal transplants. And they took a person with a healthy gut microbiome, transplanted their um, feces, essentially, in a doctor environment. So it was all sterile and everything. And then what would happen is their behaviors would start to substantially reduce mm. when their their gut would adopt the macro the um bacteria that was introduced into their body their gut would like fix itself wow it's wow. so intelligent it's so intelligent it's its own entity um so when it comes to autism what you really want to be looking for is number 1 doing a hair tissue mineral analysis. It's a type of test. And what this is going to look at is any heavy metal toxicity, specifically copper toxicity is what you want to look at, um, as well as things like aluminum, uh, mercury, and then look at the deficiencies in their minerals as well. A lot of people with autism have a lot of inflammation and gut issues so in addition to the hair tissue mineral analysis, you want to look at running an organic acids test. This is going to kind of take a snapshot of what's going on as far as if there's any yeast overgrowth or bacterial overgrowth happening. Um, that'd be a super amazing lab to run as well and just get a deeper insight into what's going on in the gut. And then as well, People with autism tend to have a lot of inflammation. Um, so just adding an omega-3 supplement in there as well to help mitigate that. So um, if you know someone with autism, there's a whole plan to get started right there for you. I think, you know, you can definitely still look at eliminating oxalates, but start first by eliminating gluten, eliminating dairy, soy, corn, eggs, and see how that starts to improve from there. Amazing. Fantastic answer. Um, okay. And why does healthy stuff like quinoa, chickpeas, etc., upset my gut? Can it be retrained? Yes. Yeah, so this goes back to food sensitivities. So um, we talked about the delayed reactions and things like that. Of course, you can take a food sensitivity test. So depending on the severity of the excuse me, reaction that you have with it, um, you're going to eliminate that food for either six weeks, 12 weeks. If you're highly reactive to it, you're going to eliminate that food for six months. And then after that time period is over, you can slowly start to reintroduce them one at a time and see if you still have a reaction, then you can eliminate it. And you can always retest too. So after that amount of time, you can do another food sensitivity test and see, you know, what is still having a reaction. Um, the food sensitivity test that I'm familiar with is, um, takes, it runs a lot of different foods, but it, you want to eat the foods that you want to test like two to three days before you actually take your sample. Um, so that's what, that's what I would recommend is kind of doing a food sensitivity test. And then depending on the results, you can eliminate them for a certain amount of time. 
And, you know, some things you're just going to be reactive to. It's whatever. Almost always on the food sensitivity tests, you're going to have a reaction to dairy and gluten and eggs. It's mostly the egg whites, believe it or not. I know a lot of people avoid the egg yolks because of the fat in there. Um, but the egg whites tend to cause a lot of reactivity. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm still on the eggs. Um, I've been off dairy for a while, but kind of have introduced it slightly again. Um, and then the gluten, the gluten is the hardest thing. I just, I, I find Listen, it. Yeah. Yeah. I am in the same boat. You know, I have all this information. I have all of this experience and issues from, you know, my whole life essentially going through this. I still struggle. Yeah. I, if I eat gluten two days in a row, my gut is so inflamed. Really? Like I still, yeah, it's, it's still, I still have issues. I still, um, with my period cramps and stuff, I'm still testing and trying to figure out stuff with that. Like I am in no way delivering this information from a place like I am healed. I know mm-hmm. what is exactly going to work for you. You know, I know that these are some things that have really helped me on my journey. And I know that they may also not work for you. You may need some extra um, supplements or or taking a different path or we need to test and, and kind of change direction. So um, if you're looking to improve your gut health, like it takes a lot of courage. It can be really scary to start um, on this journey. And I know there's kind of this conception that healing takes a really long time, but it doesn't necessarily have to. You know, I've had people who have had an autoimmune disease for two decades, experience a relief in their symptoms after just four weeks, after just working on um, detox and their liver and opening up the drainage pathways, you know, your liver, your immune system, your mental health, it's all connected to the gut. It's a super sacred, important portal. And I, um, just, if anything, just start by like giving your gut some love. Cause I know we also, as women, we kind of have this weird relationship with our belly as well. Mm -hmm. So it can sometimes be really triggering, like working on this area of the body. Um, When you have inflammation, you don't know, you know, if you're gaining weight, you're just really bloated and it can be stressful. So it's just like, just start by like rekindling this relationship with your gut, with your belly, like give yourself a nice belly massage with some coconut oil or sesame oil. And just like, set the intention. Like, you know, I, I hear you talking to me via all these symptoms. That's how our body communicates with us. And when we don't listen and ignore, they kind of turn the volume up a little bit louder every time until eventually maybe we, you know, heaven forbid we become ill with the disease and this dis-ease starts to kind of accumulate in the body. So just, open up that relationship, that intention back to your body, to your belly. Like, I hear you talking to me. I'm learning. I'm going to figure out how to help you. And then you'll just slowly start to notice your brain fog, your bloating, your constipation. It'll start to dissipate when you bring awareness to the situation. You stop ignoring and you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to actively actively take action to start to heal you and bring you back into balance and start living my best life. 
Cause essentially <laughs> once you don't have to worry about your symptoms and all that stuff nagging at you every single day, then you're able to focus on achieving your dreams and your desires. And you have all this extra energy to start devoting into these other areas of your life. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, like I want to now, I'm just, I feel like I want to cut gluten out hundred percent now. <laughs> and I bought like some massage oil um, for like my womb the other day. Cause I'm like trying to bring a similar, as you were saying there, setting an intention to be more connected with my womb, but I'd never thought about doing that with my gut as well. So mm-hmm. abdominal massages are coming up for me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Counterclockwise motion. And it's actually an Ayurvedic practice. If you look up Abhyanga, I think it's A-B-H-Y-A-N-G-A. Um, you can look it up on YouTube, how to do Abhyanga massage. It's just a self-massage with an oil and it's like super amazing. You do it before the shower, after the shower. It's always like just a good time. Just take yourself on a little date, have a, a self-love date, do your Abhyanga, take a bath and enjoy yourself. Sounds, sounds fantastic. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much. I feel like you're a fountain of knowledge and I've learned so much just from listening to you today. Um, Still like slightly confused by how I even start, but I definitely going to have to like, listen, I'm going to listen again with you listeners when I'm, when I'm editing this podcast and really taking all of the the tips that you've shared, because there's just so many. Um, Yeah. So thank you for your time. Um, Listeners after this, I'll share all of Carly's socials um and yeah get in touch with her if you want to you know look after your gut and look at ways of of improving your digestion as well yes Emily thank you so much for having me I had such a blast and again I know it's a lot of information but just kind of whatever spoke to you the most or stood out to you just start there and start researching you know you don't have to look into everything all at once if you're really into the food sensitivities go down that way or you want to know the root cause um, go down that way but yeah I'm happy to chat with all of you and thank you so much thanks so much take care Carly Bye. Bye. What I love about Carly's work is that although she's so knowledgeable on healing the gut, she also promotes a balanced lifestyle, which I think is super important when focusing on health overall. What else I took from this conversation is that our mindset and what we are doing with our lives day to day has a bigger effect on our gut than I thought. Even if we eat a super healthy meal, but we do this when we're stressed, this will ultimately be digested as poison. This was hugely eye-opening for me. If we really think about it, how often are we eating food in a joyful space? In a world of TV dinners and takeaways, let's take time to fall back in love with dinners around the dining table, reconnecting with family and loved ones, or at the very least, being present with ourselves and the meals that we're eating during mealtimes. If you'd like to find out more about Carly's work, you can find Carly at gingerwellnessfl. You can also keep up with me on Instagram and TikTok by following at moodygirlofficial. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.